And I'm not a politician or really a political activist. I'm simply a doctor and a scientist. Um, but I was very involved in the repeal of the Eighth uh, Amendment campaign. And as the dust settles, people far more qualified than me, experts in political science, will start to unpack how a woman-led grassroots movement that was essentially crowdfunded with minimal financial support took on the combined forces of the Catholic Church, the alt-right, and won. I suspect books will be written on the lessons that we learned during the Yes campaign uh, and its triumph. But in the few minutes I have, I just want to share a few of my reflections on how we did it. Four weeks ago exactly, I was at home in Cork. I'd just voted, and we had another agonizing 12 hours to wait until the exit polls reported. It was a really, really long day. And it seems odd now to think, um, given what subsequently transpired in terms of the results, that there was ever any doubt uh, about it at all. Um, but I think it's worth reminding ourselves of the international context in which the referendum was set. Um, an array of well-funded anti-abortion groups uh, viewed the Irish referendum um, as the front line of a, a wider battleground. Elsewhere in the world right now, reproductive rights are under threat and under attack. Ireland was viewed by many of these groups as the last bastion of restricted abortion. And um, consequently, they arrived on our shores in digital form and in real form in huge numbers. Um, it was thought to be a test case for how, we could actually, how these groups could actually curtail reproductive rights elsewhere. And in addition, foreign interference in elections has become uh, the norm on a global scale. Um, in the post-Brexit Trump era, there was huge uncertainty, in my mind at least, as to whether uh, we would actually uh, succeed in our ambition. And until the, right up to the moment the exit polls reported, I had massive doubt. So what worked? Well, it turns out that facts do matter. The exit polls reveal that one of the most influential aspects in the Yes campaign were the personal stories of women like Michelle Hart. Michelle was a patient of mine and one of the bravest women I've ever met. She was denied treatment for cancer when she presented with an unintended pregnancy, and I was denied permission to perform a termination of pregnancy in this country. Michelle, like many thousands of women, had to travel to the UK. She later died, but not before giving uh, as many media interviews as she could to raise awareness of her plight. Women like Michelle and Savita Halapanava are etched on our collective consciousness. They died because of the Eighth Amendment, and their stories were incredibly powerful. Despite the best attempts of the No campaign, their stories were believed and they resonated, as did the personal testimonies of the many brave parents who shared their heartbreaking stories of having to travel to the UK to foreign hospitals when they received a diagnosis of a fatal fetal abnormality. Secondly, it turns out that in this referendum at least, experts had a voice and were heard. The vast majority of practicing obstetricians like myself were pro-repeal, and a small but vocal number of us took to the airways and to social media to back up the personal testimonies of our, of our patients. We repeatedly stated simple facts, that the Eighth Amendment harms the health and well-being of our patients and curtails the care we can give at the time that they need us most. We were helped by the fact that the No campaign could only offer a tiny number of retired doctors to counter this view, and on this issue, the Irish electorate happily decided to believe women and their largely female doctors. Welcome back to the second series of InspireFest, the podcast. I'm Anne O'Dee. I'm the founder of InspireFest, which takes place in Dublin every summer over three days. In this series, you get to hear the conversations backstage between Claire O'Connell and Shauna Boyle and some of our speakers. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, why not come along and meet us in real life in Dublin? Every year we have attendees from about 40 countries. You simply book your tickets at inspirefest.com. It's our fifth birthday in 2019, so we wanted to do something nice for our podcast listeners. So we've created a discount code just for you. Go to inspirefest.com and enter the code inspirepod19. It's time to crack on with this episode, but before we do, I just want to take a moment to thank the Digital Hub for being our anchor sponsor once again for this series of InspireFest, the podcast. The spark for InspireFest grew out of our home here at the Digital Hub four years ago, so it's a pretty fitting partnership. The Digital Hub is based in the Liberties in the heart of Dublin City. It's a collaborative space and it's home to lots of technology and digital media companies, but it's more than just an office. Why not visit thedigitalhub.com to find out more? Now, let's get on with this episode. Hello, I'm Claire O'Connell, and in this episode of the podcast, you'll hear my chat with Professor Louise Kenny backstage at InspireFest 2018. Louise is the Executive Pro Vice-Chancellor of the Faculty of Health and Life Sciences at the University of Liverpool. She is also a Professor of Maternal and Fetal Health and a consultant obstetrician at the Liverpool Women's Hospital. In 2018, Louise was a high-profile voice of support in the campaign to repeal Ireland's Eighth Amendment. Her InspireFest talk reflected on the campaign and how the Eighth Amendment was ultimately repealed. You can watch Louise's talk on the InspireFest YouTube channel, but for now, here's the conversation I had with her backstage at InspireFest. On stage there, you were talking about uh, repealing the 8th. So, I mean, how does it feel now after that intense period, you know, up to May 25th, and then the great news came through? Um, how, how, how does it feel now to reflect back on that? Like I said, on stage, it seems odd four weeks later um, that the verdict was ever in doubt. Um, but it was. I mean, you know, I have, I'll never forget how, uh, how relieved, how overwhelmingly relieved I was when the exit polls came in. Um, and... You know, now with, with such a great mandate, it means that the legislation will pass and we should get the results we need and we can roll out holistic women-centred care. Um, but yeah, relief is the, the main thing and um, I'm still slightly amazed. Um, and one of the things you mentioned in your talk there was, well, there was a few things about mm. counteracting that culture of fake news, of trolls, of people with agendas. Mm. And that was met very much with things like compassion, the repeal shields, just kind of taking care of the trolls and everything. It was all very level headed. You know, mm. is that that seems to me like almost like a microcosm of how we can deal this with this issue on a global level. I think so. I think there are lots of lessons uh, in terms of uh, how the Together for Yes campaign was actually run, but also uh, how it managed to sort of counterbalance, you know, potential overseas interference in the referendum, the very negative, combative campaigning from the no side, which was, you know, straight from the Trump playbook. I think there were lots of lessons to be learned. Um, you know, from the start, we focused on, we wanted to keep our, our campaign focused on facts. We wanted to keep it focused on on women and on compassion. Um, and on on the truth um, and above all keep it civil because we really needed to reach every corner of the electorate um, every demographic every age group and it's well known that many many parts of the dem- of that demographic are really put off by very hostile overt aggressive campaigning it wasn't always easy to keep it that way but I think it was a triumph of, of sort of sense over you know, everything that we we sort of faced during the, the whole process. 
Great. This mm. isn't your first time on stage at Inspire Fest. <laughs> the last time you were here, you were talking about setting up the Infant Centre. Uh, so tell us how that's going now. So it's going really well. Um, so Infant uh, is now in its uh, fifth year. Um, uh, we launched it in 2013. It's um, still Ireland's first uh, perinatal research centre. It's still the largest. It's got over 100 researchers, very multidisciplinary um, team of engineers, coders, uh, signal process scientists, um, life scientists, doctors from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, and our common objective is to make pregnancy and birth and the first few months of life safer. Um, we've had some real notable successes and we're conducting large-scale phase two clinical trials of some of our own technology at the moment. So by every metric, it's a success. Very good. Can you tell us a, a few examples of those successes, maybe in terms mm-hmm. of the even the sort of monitoring the brain waves and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so two, two examples, both uh, sort of opposite sides of the spectrum, really. One is that we have developed in-house a blood test for the prediction of a pregnancy complication called preeclampsia. It's based on four specific biomarkers that we discovered uh, doing um, deep searches of metabolomic fingerprints. And that test is currently in a phase 2A trial. In fact, the trial's closed and we're analysing the data right now. The test has been licensed to a spin-out, which is one of Ireland's um, most successful SMEs at the moment, I think. It's won lots of awards. Uh, So that's going really well. Another example is um, we have been working for quite a long time on uh, developing an automated method for detecting, detecting seizures in babies. Uh, detecting uh, seizures in babies that have been starved of oxygen during birth is really important because it, uh, appropriate treatment at the right time can actually significantly improve their long-term brain function. But actually the method for detecting seizures is very, very dependent upon very skilled personnel actually looking at brain recordings um, in real time and that's uh, actually not really achievable particularly in low resource settings. So we've developed, or rather our engineers have developed an algorithm which actually can detect seizures automatically and signal an alarm so that the, uh, the medical staff caring for the babies know that they're having a seizure. It can be actually quite difficult to detect in newborns. And again, that, that uh, algorithm has been through uh, rigorous uh, randomised controlled trials and has also been licensed to several companies who are putting it onto their platforms. So it's a, a fantastic example of how our tech is um, helping save lives and prevent dis- uh, disability. How do you break? Because you mentioned there you're working mm. with uh, you know, signal process engineers, coders, physicians, nurses, families indeed yeah. as well. How do yeah. you bring everything together? So my uh, co-founder and currently the director of Infant, Geraldine and I, uh, uh, came from two different disciplines uh, and we actually met over an incubator, over a very sick baby. Geraldine's a physiologist, I was the obstetrician who delivered the baby. We both had very sort of disparate research groups. Geraldine was mainly working with engineers at the time and I was mainly working with life scientists. And we started to collaborate and the two teams grew closer and closer and um, it then became a sort of joint common endeavour or purpose. Um, so we do have people from like mathematical backgrounds, we have signal processes, all sorts of engineers, but the one thing they've all got in common is they want to apply their technology to improve health outcomes for mums and babies. And it's kind of compelling when the research centre is actually five floors above the labour ward and the NICU. We only need to go five floors down to see at any one time 50 very sick babies that have been born early as a result of the pregnancy complications we don't have treatments for. Uh, being monitored with technology that's not quite as good as it could be. So we're never far from inspiration and I think that's what brings people to us and it's what helps them stay. So we've managed to retain a very strong and vibrant team 
at a time of massive fiscal uncertainty all the way through the economic crisis. Uh, we managed to keep our scientists at home when everyone else was leaving the country. And I think it's because of why we do what we do as opposed to what we do what we do. It's, it's, it's all about the why for us. Great. Um, Louise, you're an immodest woman. Uh, what do you think of that whole movement? It's a relatively recent one, this, this idea that women kind of, you know, making it no, known more what their credentials are. Yeah, and it's funny, actually, because I was, I, I've always taught my own team, both uh, in, in theatres, on the wards and in the lab, to call me Louise. I, I really didn't want to stand on, on sort of titles. And there's a really good reason for doing that. If you look at the aircraft injury, uh, industry, if you have titles, you know, a hierarchy within, within small teams, mistakes can get can be made you need to be open and approachable and all part of the same team um but then <laughs> the immodest woman campaign uh, bubbled up on twitter and i i saw some of the real sort of negative vitriol that was thrown at colleagues uh, just for for using their title um you know and a phd is i've got a phd it's incredibly hard work it's at least as worthy of the title as my medical degree i think i you know i found my phd incredibly challenging uh, and therefore it's everyone's right to use their title but the really interesting thing is that if a man had used his title no one would have batted an eyelid it was just because it was a woman and so for that reason I felt compelled to add my weight to the, the campaign and would urge any other uh, female scientist to do the same. This is my first time here at Inspire Fest and I heard everyone saying it was different and exceptional but I didn't really believe them because a lot of people say that about a lot of conferences. But I came here and the, the speakers are amazing and they touch on subjects that are very different, uh, like accessibility, LGBTQ, and how to be more inclusive and diverse. And it was really, really amazing. I recommend it. Most conferences drive to have a diverse set of speakers. InspireFest truly does that. You've got people from all different communities on stage, 65% women, which is amazing. Uh, so yeah, I think that's the one thing that really inspires me. I love just the whole variety of different talks on various things. So sometimes there's things just come up that you don't expect and the things maybe you weren't expecting to really like and they were really, really interesting. Well, I keep coming back as a third year. It's a, I love to hear stories and you know how people are making impact. It's very inspiring. It's really, really, really nice just to be in a place that's full of other passionate and enthusiastic people. Um, and I really find that I leave InspireFest with a lot more energy than I came with.